Meanwhile, in a secret headquarters located in Green Country, Oklahoma, it's another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Tony Snark, a.k.a. Ironic Man. And I'm Gail Gar the Woozy. On today's show, we're reviewing the geek tragedy, Avengers, Age of Ultron. Then in special features, we will discuss comic book movies. Where do we go from here? And finally, we will wrap up the show as we always do, with some really rad recommendations. But first... So, Chris, back whenever you and I were tykes, we used to find out about movies, either posters in the lobby or trailers before a film we were seeing. Nowadays, we find out months, if not years in advance, and we usually see the trailer on YouTube. So, I was wondering, which do you prefer? Do you prefer whenever you were a child and you used to find out about a movie on the big screen, or do you prefer the YouTube culture we're in now? You know, Hunter, what I really prefer is the old VHS days when you had about... I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of trailers before the movie that you just couldn't skip. But but you also got like particular on Disney movies, you know, you got the little featurettes about like, here's people drawing the Lion King. This movie's coming out two or three years from now. But here they are with a real lion in the studio learning how to draw. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, that was before the Aladdin tape. And then, that sounds right. Yes, and then I believe on the Beauty and the Beast tape was the Aladdin pitch. Yeah, probably. So yes, I, rem- I they, remember they, those. Yeah, they were always kind of setting you up for getting... I mean, that was almost the, uh, as far as I know, you know, the, the first, like, early kind of set it in before you even have anything. Like, that's almost the teaser trailer, but it's like the behind-the-scenes making of teaser trailer right. um, of the 90s. Well, the reason I brought it up is because I saw the picture we're about to review Avengers Age of Ultron in the theaters and at the IMAX 3D, and all of the trailers that it showed were ones I had already seen. For instance, Batman versus Superman and Star Wars, which we've already talked about. And both of them played so much better in the big screen, and I was just kind of putting myself in the mind of, 10-year-old Hunter thinking, uh-huh. wow, 10-year-old Hunter would have really have liked to have seen these for the first time, but th- it was probably the 10th time I've seen each respectively, Yeah, and so that experience was uh, inhibited. But on the flip side, there's also something really exciting about being on Facebook and saying, just released. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. just released the Star Wars trailer yeah. versus just the, the uh, surprise of being in the theater, which you can never really predict. Well, I, I think now you can kind of like they they have the like, oh, well, if you go see like I remember, uh, was it uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? Yes. They they had the uh, Dark Knight Rises for, trailer yeah, the, for the very first time. The trailer. And um, then they also had the. Oh, yeah. The opening. Yeah. The opening scene um, on IMAX. So they, they have a little bit of that where you could actually schedule around. But uh, for me, honestly, I don't like watching trailers too much. Like. I I had a brief period where I was totally against it, actually, with I went into The Dark Knight Rises completely cold, hmm. had seen nothing. I actually saw, uh, you know, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol um, in the IMAX and brought headphones and just closed my eyes and played like. Is that a true a, story? Yeah, that's that's a true that's, story. that's that's pretty impressive. Um, I couldn't do that. I like there and I didn't. The, I guess I did catch a little bit of it because like it started out with the little kid like singing the national anthem or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what it was. And I was like, oh, this is feeling kind of goth. Oh, crap. And put them in. And, you know, I I don't think that really necessarily heightened my experience. Very much. But there is something to like the fatigue of seeing a trailer over and over. That's true. Particularly, I think for me, a comedy trailer. Um, well, because the you know, as they the crit, the critique is that they only ever play the funny parts. Well, they play the funny parts. They play the funny parts out of turn, or or they they actually sometimes will make jokes that don't happen in the film. Um, so 
sometimes you'll be waiting, you know, the anticipation of a moment that was actually two scenes that are 20 minutes apart spliced together, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, for me, like a lot of times, uh, the first time I see a trailer will be in the movies. That's really fascinating because I think I'm actually on the complete opposite spectrum of you because I feel like trailers are an art in themselves, and in many cases, I like them more. They they can be, I think. Well, for instance, uh, there was an Onion article about the Iron Man trailer, the first Iron Man. It was such a good trailer, they decided to expand it into an entire movie. <laughs> and that's how I felt about Man of Steel. If Man of Steel was the trailer, that movie would have won and, and an the Oscar. The trailers, or in the, the moments in the trailer of Man of Steel were the best moments in the film. They like, were even edited were, better in the trailer yeah, than they were I mean, in the it, movie. It felt like it was a combination of some like Terrence Malick, P.T. Anderson like style, which it was like, like Gladiator and Passion of the Christ with but a superhero <laughs> movie, well, you know? Yeah, it, it had like a I almost like I was sold into thinking that Zack Snyder had grown up um watching that trailer. And then it was made all the worse when I realized he hadn't at all. Well, and I was lulled into that false sense of security by the Batman versus Superman trailer, seeing it before uh, <laughs> Avengers. However, I'm old and bitter now. I'm not a child anymore. So I know better than to trust Zack Snyder. See, I, I think that's interesting because you're generally, I think of, of the two of us, you're the one who's more curmudgeon. But when it comes to these sort of superhero-y things, uh, I think it's typically me, actually. I would say I'm half eight-year-old, half 80-year-old. And uh-huh. So it just depends on the context. And yeah. so with when it comes to superhero movies, I'm full on giddy little kid, yeah. which is probably a as good a segue as we're ever going to get into our review today. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned as we review the indie cult classic Avengers Age of Ultron. I was designed to save the world. People who look to the sky and see hope I'll take that from them first there's only one path to peace their extinction Avengers Age of Ultron is the 11th film to come from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the penultimate film in the second phase of Marvel Studios' plan to dominate the global box office and crush all competitors who stand in their way. Crush much like Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet, if you will. Uh, yeah, what, whatever he said. I've been mixed on the MCU films throughout, but with the exception of The Incredible Hulk and Thor 2 Valhalla Boogaloo, I've endured them all. Usually this is where I would get all film snob on you and attempt to connect the director's entire body of work through a single theme or posit a deeper metaphor hidden in the film we're about to discuss. And then I would end with an arbitrary question to you to kick everything off. But this review marks the official beginning of summer movie season, a time when we're free to turn off our brains and bask in the glory of tentpole movies that don't ask us to analyze the subtlety of shot composition or character development. The only thing they ask is that we devour the triple X spectacle that they throw in our faces. Triple X? Yeah. Exposition, excess, explosions. Oh, oh, right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So here's the arbitrary question for you, Hunter. Typically, I ask about your reaction to the film at hand. However, given my moderate to severe lack of enthusiasm for interconnected franchise films, this time I thought it might be more interesting to ask what you thought my reaction was to the latest MCU installment. Chris, what is your reaction to the latest MCU installment? No, I'm not going to tell you. You got to tell me what you think I think. 
Or conversely, I will tell you what I think, and then you and all the listeners can bask in my glory about what I think about the latest installment in the MCU universe. I'll let you do that, but you got to tell me what you think I think. (sighs) You thought it was a solid B+. I can see B plus in your face. That's all your. That's all you. That, yeah, that, that that's all I can think from it. Right okay, now. you thought it was a solid B plus. Okay, well, I'll I'll leave you hanging there. We'll get a little cliffhanger. Tell tell us your brilliant, great analysis, and we'll bask in it. What I thought is that this picture exemplified everything I like about the Marvel movies and everything I don't like about the Marvel movies. So we'll start with the good part first. What I like about the Marvel movies is that they are usually fun. There's plenty of spectacle. The action works. It's not flying whiz-bang past your face to where you can't see anything. It's usually solid comedy. Every single character usually gets proper development, not overdevelopment, not underdevelopment. Even the characters that you typically don't think you would like, you actually do start to enjoy them by the end of the picture. And it's not so dark that it's pretentious, nor is it so light that it's puerile. It's just good, wholesome, summer family entertainment. That is what I liked about this and what I like about all the Marvel movies. What I didn't like is what I also don't like about most of the Marvel pictures is that each feels like a trailer to the next, yeah. which is that it's it's a terrific business model. You enjoy the movie. You're having a good time. You're kind of disappointed when it's over, but it's it's not a satisfying experience in that it was unforgettable. You're looking forward to the next one. You want to mm-hmm. see the next one, but that movie individually, it's not going to stick with you. It just makes you want to see the next one. Interesting. Which, which is smart from a business standpoint. I mean, it's, it's very much what they do in comic books. Yeah. And so most of my, my qualms of this movie are actually probably more in the spoiler territory, so we'll get to that in a second. Okay. But I would say that I very much enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, but it wasn't something that's going to stick with me. It wasn't an unforgettable summer movie. It was a good summer movie, but not unforgettable. Did you feel like this with Age of Ultron was uh, on par with what they do with the uh, standalone films as far as setting up the next one or a little more altogether its own? I would say that it's yes, it's more like the standalones. Really? This as a sequel... Mm-hmm. inevitably suffered the sequel slump that you already know there's going to be a third and fourth picture to uh-huh. conclude the quote trilogy. And so as opposed to doing something surprising or taking a risk, it just kind of happened. It, it said, okay, we're going to do this movie one way or the other. You're going to see it one way or the other. So we're just going to give you lots of spectacle and then save see, the surprises for later. That's kind of how I approach the, you know, typical summer blockbuster movie anyway. Well, but Um, there are still outliers, though. Because for me, I actually like I have trouble with the in-between movies. Like I thought I thought the very first Iron Man was great. It's and and it's one that doesn't feel like it's setting up to lead to the next. And probably Um, I'm not even sure they really were. They were kind of. Well, they they have the you know, that Incredible Hulk both had the little post credit Mm -hmm. teases that were setting everything up. But uh, in a in a very like just tipping the hat to say just in case this movie bombs, we'll be able to get out of it. Well, yeah, I guess maybe that's maybe that is. But by Iron Man 2, it was like Iron Man 2 might be. For me, the worst of the like setup for the next one, sort of like mm-hmm. it, it felt like nothing really mattered. It was all just where that's where Black Widow is introduced. Correct? Yes. Like we're we're introducing a new character who's going to be tied throughout. Um, we're you know doing all of these things with like the the baddie in that that one. You don't really care that much about mm-hmm. Mickey Rourke's character. And um, I have a tumultuous relationship with 
uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then, you know, just, you know, summer blockbuster. I can't sometimes I can't just let myself go. But I liked the first Avengers movie. I, I and I went into it expecting to not like like I thought there were just too many pieces to try to too many main characters to try to tie together. Um, you know, an, an ensemble superhero movie sounds like just way too much recipe for disaster. Yeah. Man. And, and I thought, uh, you know, to very much to his credit, I thought Joss Whedon did a great job balancing it all. You know, it's a little slow to start, but that's sort of the way an origin story, you know, movie goes. And, but by the time it did start, it was, I thought it was great. I thought this was even better. Really? Yeah. For me, well, I'll for be me dipped. it was even better. I will be dipped. So is it higher than a B plus? I, yeah, I would put it at a solid A, I think. Well, because it's one of those things. I agree with you. I really like the first one. And what I especially like about the first one is knowing everything that could conceivably go wrong. Each individual character got some love. And that was the case here, too. My problem with this one, and again, we'll get into spoilers later, but my problem with this one is it just didn't feel like there was a whole lot at risk. There didn't really feel like a huge threat because you already know there's going to be a phase three and you already know who's going to be in phase three. See, I, I, there were there were too many the the triple X. Uh, there were there was too much exposition and explosions and excess for me in to Ultron? think about oh, yeah, okay. to, to think about that. And in a good way, also, like. I guess if you want me to complain a little bit, because that seems what you're pining for. Yeah. What's going um, on? You're, yeah. Uh, there, I do think you kind of, you know, he's juggling a lot here and he, I'll say he keeps most of the balls in the air for me. Um, the thing that I am getting a little fatigued with is just in general, the, and, and this is, you know, not just the Marvel movies or not just comic book movies, but the summer action movies in general, we're getting to a point where by the end, the bad guy that's being fought is not a bad guy. It's a giant legion of, uh, you know, robots or zombies or aliens or whatever to the point that like, there are almost no stakes because it's so ridiculous that you're like, well, if, if they can, keep them at bay at all they're going to win i guess like and that is a criticism of mine which will again not to keep on pushing the pushing it back but we'll get into here in a little bit is the first one they're fighting aliens mm-hmm. an army of aliens this one they're fighting an army of robots and presumably in part three and four they're going to be fighting another army of aliens so this would have been the opportune time to spice things up a little bit with mm-hmm. what the villain does to fight them and yet they just again went with the giant cgi army which i'm kind of getting tired of i was getting tired of that back at Lord of the Rings 10 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it worked better here than it worked in the first Avengers. Like by, by the time you have just the giant army of aliens coming through the, the wormhole, like I had checked out like b- between that and Hawkeye pretending to do anything with the bow and arrow and, and uh, black widow pretending that her, her guns are, you know, affecting anything comparable to iron man's lasers yeah Yeah. with just this mass of there's a just aliens just pouring through this black hole i was just like okay i don't care and she has effectively a water pistol yeah um all right so in this picture black widow and hawkeye both get a lot of attention Uh maybe even more than the last one maybe even more than some of the quote a-listers how did you feel about that did they ever bore you i liked all of the just kind of boring, obvious setup of Hawkeye's, you know, like, and and here's, I think here's the reason why, um, where I don't really know what we would consider spoilers in this. So I'm just going to go for it because, um, if you haven't seen Avengers, what are you doing listening to this? Like you're, you're the one person. So, um, 
But you have like about the middle of the film, we meet Hawkeye's family. We discover, oh, he's got a wife and and two kids and a baby on the way. Yeah. And uh, that's a little like on the nose. But I felt you needed it because up until that point and and they're kind of they're I guess they're kind of setting that up from the very beginning um, that Hawkeye. Hawkeye is not a superhuman. He's not. He's not Captain America, who you know was put through an experiment and now has super strength. The Lance Armstrong, of, yeah, the Lance <laughs> yeah, Armstrong yeah. of superheroes. He's, he's not Iron Man, who's a billionaire who has a super robotic suit. Um, he's not a god of thunder. He's not a god a of thunder, monster. and he's not a giant green monster. Um, so you know, him and Black Widow are the ones that have always been a little, a little tough for me. Um, so by directly embracing it and saying like. Hawkeye's human. Why is he even here? How does he belong here? Like, I, I appreciated that they were embracing it and actually not not sidestepping it, but running directly at it and saying, like, yeah, it's kind of silly. But um, here's here's some stakes to, like, actually care that maybe, you know, he he has a vulnerability and the way that they pay it off in the end, I thought was nice because it's not exactly what you expect when you meet the wife and kids. So my thing with Hawkeye and Black Widow as well is, like you said, you don't really see them being able to compete with armies of aliens and being able to fight alongside a god of thunder or a giant green monster. Yeah. So my thing with them is I think this would have been a perfect time. Again, we're in spoiler section. This would have been a perfect time to take a risk, a, a second movie risk, and kill Hawkeye because the only a uh, superhero that dies is Quicksilver and no one cared about Quicksilver. Well, that was, Quicksilver that, was the agent Coulson of this movie. He's like, still alive in Agents of Shield, yeah, so even yeah, that didn't well, matter. They 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 got the you know Fast and the Furious uh sort of uh flowchart going, I I imagine. But you know, yeah, it was that sort of like, okay, we're going to make it you know, we're going to give it stakes by killing a guy, but the guy that we kill, you don't really care about. We just introduced him like he's And and again, being the sequel to really be an un- and don't get me wrong, I liked this movie, but to really be an unforgettable summer event, this movie needed a Han Solo being frozen in carbon carbonite moment. Yeah. This movie needed a Two Face dying at the end moment, and it didn't have that. And mm-hmm. maybe Hawkeye dying would have been that. I don't a think Quicksilver it, dying wouldn't have been and wasn't. I, I don't think it would have. Like I think it would have felt even kitschier to me at least. Like, All right, that's um. You know, when when they go to his house and introduce his wife, like it's like, oh, they're going to kill off Hawkeye. This is like it it felt like that sort of setup. And so by basically knowing that that is the expectation and subverting it, um, it it worked better for me than if they had just, you know, gone through the paint by numbers sort of thing. All right. You and I are committing a Joss Whedon that we are spending way too much time on Hawkeye. So <laughs> let's start with the biggest Robert Downey Jr. This is now, I believe the seventh time he's played this character. My feeling on Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man is I was going and expecting to be fatigued by his performance compared to say Johnny Depp as part as uh, yeah. Captain Jack. I, he, I, he carries I, it on his back. Though. Absolutely. I, I can't, I not to talk about pirates, but I couldn't even watch a, 30 second car commercial with him paying Captain Jack anymore. I just don't care. And I was expecting that with him at Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark in this, but he is just such a smart actor. He is able to just come up with literal moments, just moments to make you continue to invest in Tony Stark. Yeah. For me, it was whenever they're at the castle at the beginning mm-hmm. and he was looking for the secret door and he said, he opened the secret door and he just said, yay, yay. Yeah. Just little things like that. He just knows how to continue to get you to love Tony. Well, I think it's a combination of you've got. Robert Downey Jr., who I think at this point is arguably a better 
you know, a more interesting actor, even if he's playing a bigger, a bigger like, movie star and a better actor. In my well, opinion. he's, you know, he's playing Robert Downey Jr., but he does it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Tony Stark, who is actually an interesting character in that, like, they don't allow you to see a whole lot of the dynamism of his flaws and his alcoholism and all that. Yeah, that's the thing. They haven't even um, touched on the alcoholism and that's probably the biggest part of the comic book character. Yeah. Yet they're still, so there's, there's still, you know, it. we're at the tip of the iceberg. There's still more to mine there if they choose to, I don't know if they will. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, the way Kevin Feige has kind of steered this Marvel cinematic universe ship, um, as producer of, of all things, you know, he's almost the, uh, showrunner. Yeah. If of, anyone's the auteur of this, it's Kevin Feige. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I fear that he's a little afraid to go in those directions. Um, I mean, especially with, uh, and we'll get, get into this a little bit, I think in the, the next, in the special feature segment, but with the way things went with Ant-Man with, you know, there, there've been a few things where it just seems like a bit too much of a comfort yeah, let go, yeah. on, on what's, uh, what's going on. So I don't know. We'll see. I think Iron Man as like a standalone franchise needs that sort of thing because, you know, three I thought was better than two, but they kind of got rid of the best part of three very early on with, you know, taking the Mandarin who seemed like such a interesting character. Like you couldn't quite under, or at least for me, I, I couldn't quite tell like what his motivation was and all of that. And then they kind of, they show you a view behind the curtain and there was a lot of interesting stuff they could have mined there. And they just kind of swept it on the rug and said, oh, hey, uh, army of robots. Right. Uh, OK, so we both like Robert Downey Jr. in this. What about Chris Evans's Captain America? I, I like, you know, I like this entire ensemble. If we're going to go down the list, like I, I thought everyone. OK, was well, then how about solid. this? Who stood out in your opinion? Uh, Mark Ruffalo, actually, a lot like um, Hulk's been a character that I've never really been able to connect with i think it goes you know connects to that like i don't really understand superman because he's a superman with superpowers i don't totally understand hulk because he can just he has i mean it's an uncontrollable thing so it's a little easier to connect but i think the way i think it's the way he's been presented in hulk and the incredible hulk uh just hasn't been the right way to to connect in and you know i said i hadn't seen the incredible hulk in the intro, like I've seen bits and pieces of it. I I've never Enough sat, to realize that it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like there, you know, what I've seen, it seemed like there was little pieces of things that could have been interesting and they, they put them out there and then didn't explore them. Um, but what they're doing with Mark Ruffalo as, as Hulk, I like, I think I find him to be a very empathetic character, you know, a character that I, you know, I'm constantly curious about exactly what's going on in his head. And there's sort of the duality of the uh, brilliant scientist who has everything together. He's the voice of reason when, you know, working with Tony Stark, who is a very uh, wisecracking trickster. Kind well, of character. And, and just a Tony Stark just shoots from the hip and, you know, begs for forgiveness later if he messes things up, which is sort of the plot of this mm-hmm. of Age of Ultron in a lot of ways. And whereas uh, Banner is more methodical and thinks things through. And so you have that combined with this out of control character. And I, I know there's been some blowback in like, oh, well, he says that he's always angry and just controlling it. And that that's not the Hulk. But, um, you know, maybe if I would like to see a standalone Hulk film. 
I guess is what I'm saying. Well, and that that has a whole deal of issues. I would say that out of the four times the Hulk has been on the big screen as part of the MCU, well, actually, never mind, uh, Ainley's Hulk wasn't part of it, but the four times he's been on the big screen, the only person who really seems to get him is Joss Whedon, as you mm-hmm. implied. One, because all the things you said about Mark Ruffalo, but also just the Hulk itself. They have such reverence for yeah. his power. It, it, he's, he's like a, a, a weather He's like a hurricane. Uh He's like a storm. You cannot control it, but once you release it, the key line, I believe, in the first Avengers was whenever Tony Stark said, as whenever Loki said, I have an army, he said, I have a Hulk. Yeah. So they just know how to use this character, which is sparing. And so not to get on a sub conversation, but I'm not sure I'm not sure if he can carry his own picture. I kinda like him more as just being something they can't control. I I think he could, but it would almost be it would almost be a one off. It would be the like and, and maybe they wouldn't do it just because how do you fit it into, as you said, setting up the next film? Like, I think it would all be character, um, you know, get, just getting to live with that character on the days off, you know, that sort of thing almost. Um, you know, I don't think we need a backstory. You could maybe do a little bit where you sprinkle in like flashback stuff or whatever if if they feel it necessary. But, you know, the sort of constantly on the run Bruce Banner Hulk character would be an interesting kind of side road to take. I, I feel only if Lou Ferrango returns to play the monster, in <laughs> which case I would be all over it. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Probably not. Uh, a person who, uh, as I intimated a second ago, a actor who stood out to me in this was Chris Evans as captain America. Mm-hmm. What I admire about him in this is at face value, he seems like he's probably just another hotshot, snarky, good-looking actor. Mm-hmm. But yet, in this picture and in the previous Captain America picture, Winter Soldier, he just he he's abs- he's consumed by this character. Chris you, Evans he, has always he owns been, it. He owns this. He's, he's always been like surprisingly good to me, though. Yeah, he's one of those people that it, just when you look at him, there's something about him that just bothers you. Mm-hmm. But it, certainly in this, I, I've finally come to accept him as Steve Rogers. He's I mean, he's sort of he's sort of a Channing Tatum in a way where like you buy, you know, just his presence. You're like, no, I don't I don't want to like you because you're a you're a big hulking, beautiful man. Yeah, but, D-back. but he's he's great. Like he's he's perfect for the Steve Rogers character. And I yeah. And I he, love how in this uh, this character fear and we're touching on something that's kind of dark for captain america but the idea that he is only happy when there's a war going on whenever he has a, a battle to fight that's his his greatest fear is actually a war being over okay let's can we talk about this for a little sure. bit not not just captain america's fear but um the way marvel kind of tries to pull in you know some a little bit i mean it's not very strong but a bit of social commentary mm-hmm. into i mean with um with Captain America, you've, you've got that with Age of Ultron. You've kind of got this um, looming fear of AI and what's, you know, possible and accidentally, you know, opening Pandora's box of artificial intelligence. Not just um, AI, but also the idea of a surveillance society, which I don't think they went far enough. Well, that, that that was more in Captain America. And that's that's actually what I kind of the direction I was going with this is like I thought in Captain America, Winter Soldier, they they attempted to do that and did kind of a terrible job with it. Like they, because I think because of the framing, so they present it as, as a surveillance and a privacy issue, but then they say, 
but Hydra's behind it. You know, the that, you know, ancient Nazi superpower thing like they're they're behind it. So like they're the ones like and, and so it tries to get topical, but then undermines it with like big comic book bad guy sort mm-hmm. of thing. And um, I think with Age of Ultron, they they tread on the same sort of uh, path. But I thought I thought Joss Whedon pulled it off much better here where it didn't. Like, I mean, like I said, he's only touching it lightly, but um, I thought what he was, you know, touching on with with surveillance, with AI, with, you know, a war machine sort of mentality um, was pretty interesting for a very, you know, pedestrian summer blockbuster. Well, and I guess that's as good a uh, segue as any to talk about the character whose name is actually in the title, which is Ultron. So how did you feel about Ultron as a villain? Um, I liked him. I liked the sort of the questions that he brings up. Um, there were a couple moments where uh, he really kind of uh, he's he's kind of one of those great bad guys where he's not just a baddie, but he kind of uh, challenges you to see things from his perspective. And you could kind of you could at least understand why he comes to the conclusions that he does. It's not just it's not Hydra in Winter Soldier where it's just like we we choose to be evil. We are we're Nazis. Well, they're Germans. They're German Nazis. I mean, exactly. that's, that's all there is to it. And, and I'm I love German Nazis as bad guys. I mean, Indiana Jones. Yeah, they're very not, they're very easy. They're evil. That's all you need to know. But, but not in the 21st century. It just doesn't work um, here. It's uh, you know, I, I thought he was great there. I've. You know, heard some criticism of James Spader as, uh, you know, Ultron just being too James Spadery. And I, you know, I guess maybe I'm just not a comic book nerd, so it didn't bother me. But uh, I thought he brought the right amount of uh, subtle humanity with a lot of robotic logic sort of. Um, you know, he's more algorithm than he is man still, even if he has a bit of a personality. Yeah. James Spader brings an inevitable coldness just by the quality of his voice. He was hired for a reason. So I think mm-hmm. anyone who thinks that Ultron should have sounded more robotic needs to just keep that in mind. Because can you imagine a robot saying there are no strings attached to me as well as James Spader? No. Or saying uh, you can't the, the line about break you. You can't uh, make anything without breaking it. Well, you've never made an omelet. Just things like that. You're not going to get that from a robot voice. And so James Spader was clearly having fun with this. Mm -hmm. And it was fun to watch or rather listen to him as this character. But he's still also bringing up like bigger issues. Like, I mean, the the whole thing where he's talking about um, he's he's comparing what he's doing to uh, the flood of, you know, with Noah in the Bible. And like from his perspective, like it's. Uh, it's just the next course of action. And, and it just happens to be that we've reached a level where, um, you know, technology has almost become God in a way Mm -hmm. and, and knows that if, you know, humanity isn't wiped out, then it's going to destroy itself. Well, and there was that wonderful line in there about every now and then God needs to send a rock hurtling towards the earth. And trust me, I'm winding up. And of course, James Spader delivers that just absolutely magnificently. Um, my problem, and let me let me at first preface this by saying that I really enjoyed the character, and I really enjoyed James Spader as the character. My problem is that it was really good within the context of this movie. I enjoyed watching it. However, it was not a next level bad guy you'll remember for all time. 
And here's my and here's the reason I say that is because for all intents and purposes, he's omnipotent and omniscient and cerebral. Mm-hmm. Black Widow even says he knows us better than we know ourselves. Yeah. And yet, when it comes down to it, they still resort to just him being big, strong, punchy, kicky, shooting lasers from his finger fingers. I would have much rather this character actually break the Avengers down and really make them lose their powers as it were. There's a, a, I mean, there, there is that moment where Captain America is totally like they kind of divide and um, they're it's when they're making the vision um, and Captain America is totally against the idea. And, you know, Stark's for it. And obviously that's a whole loaded thing. Right. That's just setting up Civil War, Captain America, Civil War. But yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there there is a little bit of that dividing them. I guess, you know, for me, I I feel like we've almost flipped uh, positions here from where we normally stand Mm -hmm. as far as like the, uh, you know, being overly. Um, enthused yeah yeah uh i you know i just i took it for what it was i said i'm getting a uh you know just getting a big tentpole movie oh, i'm no, going to absolutely no and absolutely i i enjoyed the hell out of it and i enjoyed watching uh, my the way i'm working and maybe this is just a consequence of me being a, a comic book nerd is i was always thinking of what could have what could have been more what more mm-hmm. could they have done mm-hmm. and so i would have enjoyed it more if Ultron, there, there's a line in there wherever Nick Fury implies that they've been that they have no technology, and they even have that scene where they can't use the internet, so they go to the files. But then yeah. the very next scene, they're back on the internet. Yeah. So I would have liked the whole Ultron arc more, and this movie would have stood the test of time, in my opinion, if he sent humanity back to the Stone Age. He sent us back to the Stone Age. We have no technology, and then the Avengers, you, as opposed to just because he his what he says about the Avengers is they're not the heroes we need. Mm-hmm. What if they prove their heroism by us being sent back to the Stone Age, but yet they still maintain their central humanity? So our humanity isn't based on technology and CGI graphics and punchy kicky. Our humanity is based on just plain old courage and character. So again. I'm critiquing a movie for what it wasn't as opposed to what it was, and that's not fair, but that's that's what I felt after watching, is it could have been so much more. Do you think we could have had that all in the 140-minute runtime of a single movie? Um, like that I'm, feels like a two to three arc. Well, actually, originally it was three three and a half hours long, but it's just, it's, it's choices. Is that true? Yeah, originally, yeah, the first cut was three and a half hours long, but it, it's just based on what you want to tell the story. For instance, The Dark Knight. It could. It would have been a very different movie if the Joker just sent a hundred thugs after Batman. It would yeah. have been entertaining, but it wouldn't have been the same as Joker really getting the Batman's yeah. head and, and, and knocking that is, him down. And that is the thing that I, I feel just like I want a moratorium on that thing where it's just just throw throw you know it's like Putty Patrol just mm-hmm. being thrown at them. And Ultron uh, as a villain, and this is the second movie in a series, that would have been the ideal time to do that, to make this more cerebral. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do it. I enjoyed the picture. I would recommend it. But it, was, it was, wasn't it was as good as it could have been, in my opinion. Okay. That, I, I think that's probably it was, fair. And this is a criticism. You know, we'll, we'll go full circle here. This is a criticism and a compliment. It was another Marvel movie. Yeah, it was. I, I feel the same, but I feel like of the, you know, of the Marvel movies, this one stands out as, you know, a little little bit better than uh than most and i felt that way about both of the the avengers movies like i feel like the avengers movies are kind of the home base that they're running to at times you know like with each phase it's running from first to second second to third you know and and once you get to the avengers movies to me it kind of feels like okay we can actually develop something that's that's not just running towards the next 
piece. All right. Given that this is a summer picture and this seems appropriate, we don't normally do this, but Chris, what was your favorite part? My favorite part? Hmm. You know, it probably the, uh, there was a party scene where they're all trying to lift Thor's hammer and, uh, Captain America like budges it and Thor gets really like Mm -hmm. there's, and that's the thing that I think Joss Whedon brings like little, uh, he, he brings little subtle things that are, you know, that's a visual gag that um, someone else might have tried to do in, you know, they, they might have had Thor get up and say, oh, no, no, let me take it. Or, you know, just allowing you to see what's going on there and imagine what's going on in Thor's head. That, you know, kind of worry was was a great little it wasn't quiet ju- yeah, a be- It wasn't just comedy for the sake of comedy it was comedy and developing characters at the mm-hmm. same time and actually what's funny about that is that was all over the trail not i don't know if trailers but that was a clip that was just released over and over and over again on the internet and so i guess I've that was the first, yeah and that was the first time you yeah. saw it terrific um my favorite part relates to what you just said is the part wherever the vision's giving a speech and then he hands said hammer uh-huh. to thor because i wasn't expecting that i was I, expecting i Cap- kind of i kind of was because really? they yeah there's there's a shot where you see captain america put his hammer down and like it was just it was the way that the shot was composed of like look the hammer is sitting down and thor doesn't have it like felt to me like oh okay the vision because he's an infinity stone made of an infinity stone he's gonna pick it up well no it's because he's worthy is it it, it, yeah it's not his infinity stone it's just because he's a good person who wants what's best for everyone okay even if that means the eventual destruction of the human race (laughs) whatever but yeah i i kind of i saw that piece and not to say that it wasn't um you know fulfilling when when he did give it to him it was a great like moment like my actually my crowd i was amazed was a little bit you know quiet throughout like they laughed at jokes and whatnot, they were more of but, a japanese audience um i i suppose so i don't know exactly that, yes what that the japanese audiences are well known if they enjoy a movie they stay silent compared to american audiences okay um but uh they really enjoyed that that moment you know it was a, a nice button was it a full house for you uh yeah it was absolute full house it was i think the first screening of the night uh, it was Thursday night at like 7 p.m. So in every shape and form, you were more of a fanboy about this movie than I was. You very, went 7 p.m. on a Thursday compared very, to me. Well, maybe not, though, because the only reason that I didn't go later is because because the the first IMAX was at like 1030. And I was like, I don't want to get home at one. So I, I think I'm actually less of a fanboy in in that, you know, I saw it before you, but not, uh, you know, you saw it in IMAX in 3D as it was, you know, allegedly intended to be seen and i saw it in just a a nice comfy uh reclinable chair and uh you know big enough screen well speaking of nice and comfy and three dimensions one thing that adds to the experience in addition to a third dimension is alcohol so chris what is your beer recommendation for avengers age of ultron hunter i think i have a beer that will pair perfectly with the avengers it's summer solstice by anderson valley brewing company uh and it's just a perfect session beer On Anderson Valley's website, they say it's become affectionately known as the cream soda for adults. And I don't know if that's quite true. If you go in expecting a alcoholic cream soda, you're probably going to be let down. Um, If you know, if you want a summer beer that's uh, fruity and whatever, maybe you should go with a line and Google summer shandy. But uh, don't don't ever come to your house with that shit. No, please don't. you know, it is slightly sweet uh, and it's endlessly drinkable. It's kind of it's a little bit creamy. Um, it's great for, you know, cooling off after the mowing the lawn or grilling out on the back patio or floating all day on the river with some friends. 
or watching Avengers Age of Ultron or watching or watching Avengers Age of Ultron. Exactly. Um, But to me, it's kind of the definition of summer, like in in a can. And I recommend this one in a can. It comes in cans and bottles, but you're going to want to, you know, take this with you. Um, you know, on, on a road trip or not, not to say that you should be drinking in the car, but you know, it's, it's a little more portable in the cans. Um, so, you know, be it, you're floating down the river or, or whatever, get a, get a sixer of it and, you know, you can drink it all day and, um, have, have a good old time. So that's uh, summer solstice from Anderson Valley. And you might have to wait on that if you're going to drink it while watching Avengers Age of Ultron, unless you feel like sneaking it into the theater. Sneaking it in or, you know, one of those hip new theaters that, uh, you know, charges you an arm and a leg, but allows you to pay an arm and a leg for a beer. Maybe they'll have it. All right. Then then if that's how you choose to watch it, you can see Avengers Age of Ultron, which is currently playing in a multiplex near you. If you've seen this picture, and we know you have, please tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd love to hear your angelic voice. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail in your best Ultron voice at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Well, slap on your spandex and swan dive into a pit of radioactive goo. We'll be right back after the break to discuss comic book movies. What happens next? Plus, a listener weighs in with feedback on our review of The Babadook. Stay tuned. Ze goggles, ze do nothing. Fall down. Get back up. Why must I leave? To leave this natural condition. So long and farewell. Sound very nice But I don't belong Don't think I will be staying for too long Cause I'm the one who let it go You're the one who doesn't care Put it back together and make it feel better We'll get to our discussion of comic book movies in just a minute, but first, it appears a listener has already taken advantage of that bright red Batman phone we installed a couple weeks back. Christopher from Brooklyn left us a short but sweet message with his take on the Babadook, which we discussed last week on a review-only short round episode. Wait, we have a listener in Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, it appears so. Let's hear what Christopher had to say, and more importantly, who he sided with. This Christopher's in Brooklyn! It was all a dream. Well, Mr. Cates, I guess that settles it. I win the debate two to one. That's not fair. That caller wasn't even a real person. Hey, hey, hey man, I have no control over who calls. Maybe you should rally the troops. Chris, your cheating remains notorious. Huh? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to pick a side in the great Baba Duke debate of 2015, please call us at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4-CINEMA. So, Chris, you have probably noticed that at least 40% of all movies coming out in the next 10 years or so would qualify as comic book movies. So you and I at this point are going to discuss what comes next, and we'll try and narrow it down to the ones that uh, matter most. So since we just talked about Avengers, let's stick with the MCU and talk about what's happening next in the Marvel Universe and kind of gauge our excitement. You touched on this a second ago. The next one is Ant-Man, which is coming out uh, later this summer. How, yeah, and how do you feel about that? That is a loaded question, my friend. Um, I was really excited about Ant-Man 
when uh, they finally announced they were actually doing it. Um, and then Edgar Wright got pulled off of it and the freight train kept going. And no, I'm not really sure. Have um, you seen any of the, I guess you haven't seen any of the trailers. I saw the first teaser and was not impressed. Um, but I'm, you know, you know me, I'm not very impressed with trailers a lot of times. Um, and I, I haven't seen anything since I think there's been at least one, if not. Yeah, two. there's been one trailer and it looks fine it looks funny but it's not something that i'm going to race to the theaters to see um i do find it odd that this is technically the end of phase two ant-man is the end of phase yeah, two. not at not avengers yeah, but not avengers yeah um very very odd there i mean hopefully it, it's not a sign of things to come that their last picture is actually microscopic <laughs> but uh, here's here's the thing like i think edgar wright um i mean he was from what i understand he was working on ant-man before um, the whole Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe was even a twinkle in Marvel Studios' eye. And so, I mean, he he had been rewriting and rewriting a script for, I think, close to a decade or something. Like, that's what I've heard. Do, do you know? I, no, I haven't known. Okay. And then um, there was that uh, quote from Joss Whedon came out, I think, a few weeks ago, uh, where he said that Edgar Wright's script for Ant-Man was the best Marvel uh, movie script he had ever read. So like those two things combined, I mean, I think I will, you know, I'll still see it and I will try to watch it without, you know, uh, the anger and vitriol of knowing what could have been and, and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, I, I think it is sad to see that, um, Wright kind of got edged out and, you know, we don't know exactly what happened, but it seems like he kind of got edged out, um, for maybe not playing ball with Kevin Feige and, you know, his vision of connecting everything together. Right. And, and as you said, we don't really understand the situation, but at the same time, if you, like you said, Kevin Feige's vision, this is kind of a reversal of the auteur theory, which we as film students are trained in is that the auteur, if it were, is the producer, which was old Hollywood, 1930s and 40s. Well, it's, it's old Hollywood and it's television now. Yeah. And so, Kevin Feige, I don't, again, we don't know the situation, but if Edgar Wright wasn't playing ball, then even if it was a magnificent script and it didn't fit into the overarching vision, I kind of think that Kevin Feige was in the right, and I'm going to get shot by the fanboy population. How, though, does Ant-Man fit into an overarching vision? Like, why why can't he exist, like, in a uh, Seinfeld mad about you sort of way where, like, you can have... A little bit of crossover, but it doesn't have to be strictly, uh, you know, I, I think that is a lusher environment to um, to breed better stories than saying everything has to be on on a rail, if you will, and um, fit into this bubble that that we've decided is, you know, it, it's almost like next stop Ant-Man next stop. I don't know, Iron Man 8 or whatever. Well, and that actually probably segues well into what's going on at the other side of Los Angeles, which is uh, DC. Mm -hmm. And I think what Kevin Feige is afraid of, and, you know, reasonably so, is just things falling apart. They have a formula, and we don't like to use the formula as film fans, but they have a formula which is, you know, to the tune of $8.2 billion worldwide, and he doesn't want to mess with that. And like you said, this would be the opportune time to do that. It would be. It also, like, I don't think, I think if you mess with it with Ant-Man, what do you lose? That's my question. Is like, it's... Well, and again, we just don't know what Edgar Wright was up to. Maybe it was just tonally, tonally so different that it was, it was like... But but doesn't, to me, Edgar Wright feels like the perfect you know, person to take on the absurdity of a superhero who is a tiny little, 
you know, the size of an ant. Like, well, no, and so that's kind of makes me wonder why they would even want to do an Ant Man picture in general because exactly, it's so ridiculous. Exactly. Don't even green green light it if. But you it, don't. Well, but that's the thing is if it existed prior to the whole MCU thing, it's been if it's been in development, maybe Kevin Feige just inherited this situation. Now he this was him so called smashing the ant as it were. Maybe, but I I don't think there was a deal with you know I think this is something that Wright had been trying to do and trying to do, and then this whole you know. Marvel movie uh, mayhem took off. And so he was able to uh, fit it into that where it's like, oh, well, you know, we're making all of these Marvel movies. Yeah, sure. We'll make Ant-Man. It'll be weird in a one off maybe. But um, I don't know. It's well, even, it's disappointing. Well, even with something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which uh, a very, quote, independent director and James Gunn. Even that was a situation where it still had to fit into the vision. And I thought it worked. Haha, vision. Haha. But anyway, it but it still wound up working within the larger context. So I would be curious mm-hmm. what exactly Edgar Wright was up to that so disturbed the brass. I, I would as well. And I don't think we're going to get it. Like, um, I don't think Wright's going to come out and talk, you know, talk bad about Marvel. And I don't, I definitely don't think Feige or, or those cronies are going to say, Oh, well, this is why, why we decided to switch. They're just going to keep the freight train on moving. Now, speaking of freight train, the, I guess the inevitable conclusion is the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, which we don't have to get into that, but the the it's, main it's bad the guy. Long the, game. Yeah, it's the, the long game. It's the Daenerys Stormborn and Jon Snow of Marvel Cinematic Universe. So do you think that the MCU just ends after that, or do you think that they... No, I, I imagine they, they then wrap that into something else. But right now, you know, it's, it's the thing where you're getting post-credit teases that are saying, oh, well, this thing's still happening. Like, it's all... This all feels like... These phases feel like they're all culminating to that apex and then maybe maybe we then get another you know branch off to new storyline but you know because they're bringing in they're gonna have guardians of the galaxy and the avengers you know come into one piece at some point right mm -hmm. i believe that's i think that yeah that appears to be what they're up to um which just seems at this point seems very crazy and odd to me but we'll see how it goes yeah i mean it's worked out well so far there's that you know it's it's there's been some squeaky wheels but by and large i think it's it's worked, um, and I think once that storyline is over, we're just going to get a new actor playing Iron Man and a new actor playing Hulk, etc. Speaking th- of new actor playing a very, very important character, we cannot pass this up. How do you feel about Spider-Man coming into the MCU? I think what they've been doing, and and I say this having not seen either of the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but having no real want or longing to see them, um, I think it can only be for the best for, you know, I, I think Spider-Man is going to draw people in, you know, as he's another character that people love, you know, our generation grew up with the Spider-Man cartoon show. So beyond just comic books, you know, you have, you have a bit broader appeal there, I think. Um, and, I don't know. We'll see. Um, Donald Glover for Spider-Man. That's all I have to say. Well, actually, okay. I guess you haven't heard this is they're trying to get a teenager for Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. And I I don't mean, okay. So Donald Glover, I think they're actually narrowed it down to, and by the time you listen to this may have announced, but Aza Butterfield, I think that's how you say his name. He was in Ender's game. Yeah. Um, and the thing about him is he, he's 18, but he looks 12. He does. And I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it. He's 18. I believe so. 17 or 18. Wow, because I mean, he looked. He was in. Uh, I guess it was a while ago now, a few years ago now. But he was in uh, Hugo and looked like you know he was. No, exactly. Kids look younger today. It's freaking me out. 
how how much younger kids look today. But I guess what I'm looking forward to is again, hopefully the Spider-Man character being done right. But I'm not yeah. sure any 18 year old, even a talented 18 year old, can hold his own both as that character because that character has a lot of weight attached to it. But then also hold your own against you know Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo and those yeah, we'll big time actors. Donald for Spider-Man. <laughs> Hashtag Donald for Spider-Man. All right, so I think we've uh, said all we can about the uh, Marvel Universe for right now. Uh, Moving Mar- on to Star Wars. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now we're going to talk about Star Wars. No, if the Marvel Universe represents uh, perhaps too much order, on the other side of the coin, there is a situation that represents too much chaos, and that would be the DC Cinematic Universe, if we can even call it that, the DCU. Haha. <laughs> So, how do you feel about Batman versus Superman? Is it something that you want to see out of genuine anticipation or just out of obligation? It's absolute obligation. Um, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, Zack Snyder is just a guy that I don't trust. Um, I think uh, Batfleck, as I guess the the cool kids are calling him. Right. um, I, I will give him a chance. I'm, you know. I'm okay with trying this. My thing uh, with I love the suit. Yeah, I've no, the suit before. looks great. Um, um, other than that, like I, I don't like a whole lot of what's cooking here. Um, and it feels like they're trying to, it, it's very odd because it feels like they're trying to crib on what Marvel has done, but then take it you know, totally dark and take it totally like they're, they're like, Oh, well we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to, add a little kink in it. So it's completely different. So we can claim that it's our own, you know, making, and it just seems like they're, they're stumbling the entire way. Um, my big thing with Batfleck, as the cool kids are calling it is I don't care how tall he is. I don't care how big he is. I don't care how many lessons he takes in Brazilian jujitsu. I don't think Ben Affleck can beat up anybody. And so if you're going to play the ultimate badass, well, he's just going to use his eyes to just going to stare at them with those dreamy eyes. Yes. With those dreamy eyes going to melt. Yes. Even Superman cannot resist the dreamy eyes, but he doesn't seem tough enough to be a battle hardened Batman, nor does he seem tough enough to take on the man of steel. And so that's, that's what makes me a little bit nervous about that character. And there was an article in, I believe the Hollywood reporter that was talking about how DC currently lacks a, a, a Kevin Feige and the closest mm. they have is Zack Snyder. They approach, which is, which is terrifying. Yes, exactly. Um, cause you're going to get the situation like you just said, wherever they're going to crib on Marvel, but just do it darker, different yeah. or louder. Um, they approached Christopher Nolan, I believe. And he said, thanks, but no thanks. Cause he's off doing his own thing. So just Zack Snyder de facto, he's wound up cast both wonder woman and Aquaman. And I think I the would, flash, I would love to know how this happened because you know, before we got Man of Steel, we had Sucker Punch, which was Zack Snyder's attempt at, you know, post Watchmen, his attempt at an original property that I don't know how well Sucker Punch did as far as box office. I don't think it was great. Both Sucker Punch and Watchmen did poorly enough that the head studio heads at Warner Brothers should have said, maybe this guy isn't the one we should entrust but, with our. But Sucker Punch was just a like. Zack Snyder thought he was making like a pro female power feminist movie, but it was really just a scantily clad rapey John Hamm movie. Um, you know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. it didn't have, even if he thought that's what he was presenting to us, it didn't have that. It felt like, it felt like it was written by like a 12 year old who thought he was writing something really porny, but had never seen pornography. And, 
um, was like just it was just awful. There was nothing good or redeeming about it. And I I know some people would say, oh well, what about the uh, you know the the amazing CG spectacle? Okay, maybe, but no, like it just at this it, point it you can a watch weird... a car commercial with the good CG spectacle. Yeah, we need something. More. It was it was gross and weird and creepy, and I just don't understand how someone sees that movie and then says, here are the keys to the DC universe. Well, yeah, I mean, that's this, that a studio, their livelihood literally depends on the DC universe doing well. And so they hand it over to, um, uh, you and, know, this guy and, seems nice, but he's basically a man child director. I mean, as far as you say, the studio, we're talking Warner Brothers here versus well, Marvel is its own. Entity, right. That's the right? thing. Marvel is, is for, as far as I can tell, Disney has kept their hands off Marvel. Yeah. And so Marvel's its own thing, whereas at DC, it's it's unclear. There's not really a head of DC. Yeah, pictures. They, they don't have their. I, and I guess like you were saying, they don't have a Kevin Feige. They don't they don't have they're not operating as their own uh, independent entity. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're just sort of saying, oh, well, we got to make the movies. So let's let's keep putting them out. What about, though? What about something like Suicide Squad? How do you what is your well? Feelings? And yeah, and that's the thing is uh, spoiler alert. Maybe rumor the rumor mill says that apparently Ben Affleck was in Vancouver, wherever this movie is shooting. Uh, so they're they're assuming that uh, Ben Affleck is now going to cameo as Batman in Suicide Squad, which would be a smart move, I would think. I guess, except the, a big news item that came out this this past in the past two weeks is the picture of Jared Leto as the Joker, mm-hmm. and that picture, even though this movie has nothing to do with Zack Snyder, as far as I know, that that picture embodied everything that we think is wrong about this, and that they are just taking these characters and just trying to modernize them in a way that doesn't feel natural but what, feels arbitrary okay what what is your elaborate a little bit what are, what are your feelings on that picture of leto as joker it's it's just it's just let's take some joker tropes and then give him some tattoos and make him hipster joker is what it felt like but did you take that to be actually what joker is going to look like in suicide squad or just sort of a a kitschy promo uh, no i think it's what he's supposed to look like now you think so because yeah. i mean because it's it's a direct rip from the killing joke um i think it's a full page mm-hmm. there where he's holding his hands on his head and even like the ha 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 on leto's forearm is like the text on on the page like it's i i took it as just a let's have fun you know we've got him let's have let's have fun and put put a couple of you know it's kind of like almost like the uh comic book covers where you know you get a a big vast amazing scene that doesn't ever that doesn't actually happen in the comic book but well i just sort of eye candy well i hope you're right because from what i can see it just looks like he's tatted up and and ripped Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like well what can we do thing i don't know what, what can be done but uh you know, I'm I'm optimistic that that's not a full blown representation of what we're going to get with the Joker. I mean, being Jared Leto, he could go like he's a guy that I think does some great stuff, and then kind of Johnny Depp's it as well um, at times. Uh, just as far as like gets way, I guess way too into a character where it's just becomes annoying. Um, so I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there. I I do think. Of the DC stuff that we've got on the horizon, um, Suicide Squad is the one that I find most intriguing. Um, you've got Will Smith playing Deadshot, right? Um, which I think is interesting because you finally have Will Smith playing a bad guy, which he, as far as I can, a bad guy, recall, but a bad guy, but performing the role of a good guy, since that's what Suicide Squad's sort of kind of yeah, about. Yeah, but but still a morally, you know, 
at, at very least a morally ambiguous sort of character, which is not something Will Smith r- really does. I mean, Django Unchained, Django was written for Will Smith and he turned it down. Um, he has there and there have been plenty of think pieces written on, you know, Will Smith's uh, trajectory and his 20 year plan of a career. And he's a how, he's a Kevin. He, only, he was Kevin Feige before Kevin Feige. Yeah, his his it, career was Kevin Feige. It was all laid out. The but, Will Smith Cinematic is, Universe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, back in the what late 90s, we had the whole every every Fourth uh, of July, you got another Will Smith action movie until that sort of ran dry. And he's always been sort of the squeaky clean uh, sort of guy. And I think he even was trying to mold his son into that. But, you know, pairing his son with a night Shyamalan was probably not the best idea. Yeah. And now um, that in the way you describe it, it sounds creepier and creepier. The, the more you describe what seemed wholesome and at the time now in hindsight, totally, describe totally it. planned out, but kind of like Ultron. Yeah. It's I, I could see I could see the uh, the whole idea that, that Will Smith is laying out. But when you actually look, you know, look closely at it, it's it's a little weird. By the um, way, this is completely out of the blue we didn't mention this during the avengers conversation but how cool was it that he that as opposed to just shooting off a bunch of nuclear warheads like i think we thought he was going to do he tried to get a comet crash into the planet i've never seen a bad guy do that well that it all i mean that all sort of ties into his you know he he had these biblical uh quotes or or moments where he's you know talking real philosophically about God and extinction, extinction and all of that. Right. And so it, you know, that feels like his, that's his style. Right. And, and if, you know, if you're an intellectual robot that knows everything about everything, like, of course you're going to do something that's not just destruction, but destruction with like a paintbrush, not almost. a predictable villain, uh, not a predictable villain scheme. So I applaud the Avengers picture for that. But anyway, that was completely out of left field. I just didn't want this episode to end without us discussing that. <laughs> so Will Smith, Speaking yeah. of rocks hurtling towards the earth. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope this is something that gives, you know, it's almost uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction for Will Smith, you know, gives him a jump start and, and allows him to, I guess, not go on to do Battlefield Earth, but, uh, you know, rejuvenates his career in a direction that he hasn't been previously that's that's my hope. What's kind of fascinating about what you just said is this being his Pulp Fiction is as as i just said at the opening of this being uh satirical is 30 to 40 percent of movies coming out now are going to be comic book movies and that will smith in order to reinvent himself as opposed to doing a pulp fiction Uh a indie movie he has to do it via a comic book movie so is that kind of a transition to is that something you mourn or do you celebrate or you kind of ambivalent about i'm i'll say i'm mostly ambivalent about it but still it is interesting that there are a lot of big names who will attach themselves to comic book movies um do you think that's a quality standpoint or do you think it's just they want to be a part of something that's going to gross a hundred million dollars opening weekend i don't know i i I mean i don't even know well this is (laughs) this is me looking into my crystal ball i think marvel is going to continue on the trajectory it's on but there's going to be a diminishing returns, not so much in quality, but just since it, it is, it does follow a formula, people are going to be less enthused. And so they'll continue making money, but it's not going to be spellbinding amounts of money. Do you think they'll be less enthused? Like when, I guess, when do you think it'll fall off? Like after the whole Thanos story? I think, the, a, I think that the next couple of pictures, there's another Thor and another Captain America. I think those are going to disappoint, not bomb and not even underperform, but just maybe disappoint. And then. Uh, the first do you Avengers. See those, okay. Do you see those as holes in the ship or do you see those as just kind of calamity? And then 
we we still get to home base and the Avengers movies, if they do well, they can continue to do their thing. I think the first Avengers did so well that it was a rising tide that lifted all ships, and now we're in a point wherever the water's coming back down. It's still uh-huh. high, but it's coming back down. I think the first Avengers Infinity War will do okay, and then the next one, it's kind of like the Harry Potter two-parter. Yeah. They'll both do, the first one will do well, and the second one will do quite well. It'll open high, but maybe not stay high. What do you, what do you think about Captain America Civil War? Just the story itself. I think it's fascinating. Well, how, how do you think it's going to play out? That may do better than Thor and maybe even Guardians of the Galaxy 2. What I think is fascinating is that here we are. If you told me 10 years ago people would be more excited about Iron Man versus Captain America yeah. than Batman versus Superman, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, but definitely. that just speaks to where DC is right now. So I think I think what's going to Marvel is it's just going to start balancing out. It went really high, and now it's just going to start like I said, balancing out. Whereas DC, I think we're going to be in the same situation we were in the mid nineties, which or mid to late nineties with Batman and Robin. Whereas given the lack of a clear, consistent direction <laughs> that everyone believed in, it's just going to be insanity and chaos. Yeah. They're going to think because a movie made money, that's what the audience wants. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily means that Batman forever made money, but it wasn't what the audience wanted. So are you implying that, you know, Joel Schumacher famously put nipples on the bat suit? Are you saying that the, Honestly, next, Zach, the next movie or two, Zack Snyder is going to put like truck nuts on the bat suit? Hasn't he already? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is Zack Snyder is probably upset that Joel Schumacher did it first and that he, <laughs> he, de- he destroyed the idea because Zack Snyder, that sounds like something he would do. So um, I think DC is getting ready to pull a Krypton and just explode. <laughs> okay. And, and how that, do you how do you think that will affect uh, Marvel? If I think it'll be absolutely all. irrelevant to Marvel, and and to their credit, they're on they're doing their own thing. Okay. Well, I mean, I I don't think I have anything left to uh, to add to this. Uh, if you want to continue waxing poetic. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I need to have my own Hunter Kate sub podcast for should. the future of comic book movies. But for our purposes, I think I'm ready to conclude this discussion on comic book movies, where yeah. we are and where we're going. So that's all Chris and I have to say about comic book movies for right now. But surely you have something else to say. So why don't you tell us at our email address at hello at war starts at midnight dot com and stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next. Today is the day that I threw out everything that I wanted I was scared, but that's alright Who needs a ride that's taken too long? That was before That was before Came along and he played me a song With a little bit of love and a little bit of yeah, yeah Well, we've reached the 24th page of War Starts at Midnight. Actually, I think we've reached probably the 43rd page, but this was a a double double issue. issue. Yes, this is a double issue. Uh, Well, let's wrap up as we always do with uh, a couple of recommendations. Hunter, what do you have for us today? Well, Chris, given that we are obligated in some form or fashion to mention Harrison Ford, and we haven't done it so far, I don't think. Maybe we have, and it's just become such a part of the show I don't even notice. I I didn't sign that contract. Well, it's not really so much a contract as it is just an unstated understanding that we both share, I feel. 
but I, w- I will do go ahead and fall on the proverbial sword, and I will make the Harrison Ford reference with my recommendation. Thank which you. Is Thank you for being so kind. So selfless, truly. Uh-huh. Um, I'm kind of like Indiana Jones in a way. But anyway, my recommendation is from 1985. It is Peter Weir's first American film, Witness. It is currently playing on Netflix, and I don't know how much longer oh, it will really? be. Yes, and I don't know how much longer it will be, so I would suggest you get on that. So this was during the height of his popularity, and so you really see them pushing and playing with the Harrison Ford heroic persona, and I don't know whether it was the script or the direction or a combination of all the above, but it's it's always fascinating to watch a movie star play themselves play the kind of the persona that made them popular but then mess with it a little bit mm-hmm. and so that's what this picture did and it's, in fact it's the only one that he was ever nominated for an academy award for thus far until the next star wars comes out of course of course of course so if you're going to watch witness as i said it is currently available on netflix we don't know how much longer of course so as long as you're not amish you should be able to watch this wonderful or if picture. you are amish i'm sure you can find a nice vhs copy they can they can watch vhs no right? not a thing no okay they can maybe like do a shadow puppet impersonation of it on the wall um you know i this is a movie that i haven't seen your recommendations i've never seen i have heard of this one but oddly enough heard about it from a vhs tape for i want to say it was et from when i was a kid it was you know some uh i don't know some some 80s movie where they were you know pitching like oh you, you would probably like harrison ford movies check out witness well i mean this isn't the time or place for that but that i would say maybe qualifies a war crime a lower, Witness, really. a lower, okay. yes, a well, lower scale. No, the, the fact that you said that it's on Netflix actually really piques my interest, and uh, I, I will try to seek it out before uh, they, they pull it away. Well, and you've got a good Amish beard going, so yeah. you, it, it should. I might, I, I might need to get it just a little bit longer beforehand. But you know, moving on, um, my, I, I'm amazed at your, your lack of nerddom here. You didn't recommend a comic book movie. Uh, well, every every Harrison Ford movie, in a way, particularly from the '80s, is kind of a comic book movie. Okay. If you would, fine. Um, so I do. I, I am, you know, making up for your sins. Although we would, it would, it's kind of a Sophie's choice here because if we didn't mention Harrison Ford, we're screwed. Uh, if you don't mention a comic book movie, you're screwed. So I guess you fell on your sword. I'll fall on mine. Um, I'm going to recommend Edgar Wright's first and only film based on a pre-existing property. Uh, that is 2010's. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And this is a movie that I actually, it took a little bit for me to not bring up in the last uh, segment, but this is a movie that was uh, not very well received. It's based on the graphic novel uh, of the same name by Brian Lee O'Malley. And this, if I remember correctly, they sort of uh, just pimped out this movie everywhere. Like it had a lot of advertisement. They did a huge at Comic-Con that year, um, did a huge sort of like, Scott Pilgrim, uh, it was almost like a treasure hunt thing or something where like at at different places you could, they had little installments, uh, related to the movie and whatnot. And I think this, you know, grossed like maybe half its budget domestically. So it was not considered to be a great investment. So the, the mere fact that, uh, Marvel was willing to give him Ant-Man, um, maybe that's, you know, that could have been something that was at play there. They were saying, oh, well, the last comic book movie you made, you know, bombed. Uh, so we need to have more control than you're willing to give us and uh, whatnot. But that said, um, it may have bombed. The audience may not have turned out, uh, but I did. 
And I really, really like this movie. It's probably my favorite of Edgar Wright's films, actually. It's um, just every frame is packed with uh, a lot of like like all Wright's uh, films uh, is packed with something, you know, sort of hidden in the background, little little just amazing details. Um, And so it's it's got a lot of rewatchability. I actually think each time I see it, there was a run maybe a year or two ago when it was on HBO for a while. And I would find myself losing, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, a full afternoon uh, watching it. And it's one that I actually, every time I see it, enjoy more. Um, so I would highly recommend Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Even if you have seen it, watch it again, see, uh, see if you get something new and, uh, you know, boil up that rage that you're not going to get Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. And if nothing else, even though I have not seen it, if nothing else, it has the only appearance that I'm aware of, of a former Superman, Brandon Routh and a future Captain America, former human torch, Chris Evans, which, which is actually, yeah, I'm glad you bring that up, uh, to extend on my, my recommendation a little further. That's the first time I was kind of enamored by Chris Evans. He played that character so well. And he played, he played kind of the douchey guy that, I mean, he kind of riffs on, on his, his own thing. Would you yeah. say that you're Chris Evans? man crush is approaching Paul Newman levels or we wait? No, de- definitely not. It, it's more just an appreciation of him as a, you know, he's able to really carry that um, in a, in a way that I wouldn't have expected. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I don't know where uh, this is available. It's not, a, you know, it's a shame. It's not on Criterion Blu-ray. Um, one day. One. Yeah. You, one day. Maybe it's, we should start a campaign. Well, yeah. we're, we're going to get the Edgar Wright box set. I'm sure. Uh, but that's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Check it out uh, where you can. I'm sure it's at least available to rent online. And, you know, Hunter, I think we've gone a tad long today on this episode, much like uh, many of the Marvel or superhero movies in general. So I'm going to say uh, that'll do it for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr at WSAMPod. And you should be following us because every Tuesday I post my picks for the week ahead on Turner Classic Tuesdays. So don't miss that. And I, you know, just post silly gifts from movies and such. Which is arguably more important. Much more important, I think, because I'm doing it. If you like the show, help us out by rating us on iTunes or giving us a nice little review. It it would really help. And if you hate the show or if you have any other comments, please email us at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or, of course, give us a call on that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. Music on this week's show comes from Sam Means. Check him out online at music.means.am. Tune in next time when we keep the AI Love Fest going with Ex Machina. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thanks for listening. Excelsior. Excelsior.